Welcome back, everybody, to the Real Weirdos Podcast. We hope you're doing okay today. I'm Jesse, along with my co-hosts Alex and Jeff, and we are the Real Weirdos, two and a half white men with English degrees who talk about movies for way too goddamn long. Today, we're talking about The Tragedy of Macbeth, 2021 film from director Joel Cohen. But first, it's our year anniversary, boys. We've been doing this for one year. One whole year. Of talking a whole year. to you fools about movies. Mm-hmm. Us fools talking to you fools about movies for way too goddamn long. It's been great, man. I just, I don't know. If you if you want to skip, if you don't care about any of this, I'll put a time code at the bottom. You can just skip to the movie. But we're going to talk about just the, the show for a little while because <laughs> yeah. I feel like celebrating it, you know? We did this as like a pandemic project, sort of. It came mm-hmm. out of this website I was doing called One More Take, which was just like a movie blog thing to occupy my time. That turned into the One More Take podcast, which we did what, th- three, three episodes three of, episodes something of like that. Yeah, two and in then one we were night. like, oh, <laughs> there are multiple other podcasts called One More Take. Alex and I <laughs> talked about this on a book report. We were like, oh, we got to rebrand. So our very first episode came out a year to the day ago on uh, the 2015 Macbeth. It was Jeff's choice. Yeah. So we were like, hey, let's mark the occasion by doing another Macbeth, because why not? Hell yeah. Because I love it. I love it. I'm, <laughs> I I live for this shit. <laughs> Jeff likes his Shakespeare. I don't know if any of them are as good to him as Romeo plus Juliet for whatever reason, but... No, nothing will ever top that movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> It's going to be interesting when you finally choose that because I remember hating it. I have it in the back burner. It's like a revenge pick. Like you, like when you show me something, just another Riccio. That's that. That's my trap card. That's when you activate my trap card. Mm. Yeah, you'll have to prepare yourself for that to be shit on though. Like your favorite movie to be shit. Oh, of course. Although I might like it now. I mean, the last time I saw it was probably in high school. And spoilers, I'm old now. So that was a movie that I grew up with people hating like i knew it was a hated movie and and not even like disliked i knew it was a hated movie like people thought it was shit and i mean to a degree i acknowledge the campy and the shittiness but it's still my favorite movie yeah well one year boys and uh i gotta say it's been a pleasure it's been an absolute pleasure one of the things you think about when you start making content on the internet is like of course, you always wonder to what degree it will blow up in quotation marks, if you can say that, like how many people will end up watching. Mm-hmm. And we we have, at, at the time of recording, we have 139 subs. And even if it never gets bigger than that, even this ne- if this never blows up or anything, I'm still super happy to be doing it. And like, it's not wasted time because I fucking love doing this show with you guys. And I'm super glad you've been along for this ride with me. Oh, agreed. Yeah, yeah. agreed. Yeah. It's been a, uh, it's been weird. Like you know, I never really thought I was gonna dive into like this realm. Podcasts were always something I just listened to, and uh, it's been it's been fun. It's been interesting. It's definitely like a new way to create that I have never even conceived before, and uh, it's a lot of work on 
your part, Jesse. So I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, we got Alex. Alex is doing a lot of the editing for me these days, which is great. Um, but you're going to say something, Alex? Yeah, I was going to say uh, it's been pretty chill. Thanks. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, yeah, it's been awesome. It's like, yeah, it's all right. It's, it, all right. it's been honestly pretty necessary um, post-school for me. One of the reasons why I was in school, aside from being just a terrible shitbag of a kid and not finishing school when I should have, <laughs> is also because part of me just was addicted to it. Like, I'm addicted to just consuming any type of material, talking about it. Fuck, if someone wanted to give me a grade for it, okay, I'll participate. But after that ends, you lose that, like, that structure. And I'm like, okay, well, what's legitimate about me sitting on the couch for six hours and watching three of Quentin Tarantino's movies, right? And finishing, like, five bags of Doritos. Well, Mm -hmm. now I have the show, so I can tell people that I am consuming art, you know, for the sake of discussion and high-minded literary purposes. (laughs) Biting off those Doritos. Right. (laughs) Hashtag Dorito sponsorship. Not (laughs) at all, actually. We are not sponsored. We will manscape you, though. We will, if Manscaped wants to jump in. Oh, we'll manscape our viewers. Like, I'll I'll shave your balls for you. The viewers, yeah, we'll send Jeff Casino over in the Real Weirdos Mobile to manscape your balls. If you sub to our Patreon, I will shave your balls. <laughs> That's the tier one. That's the tier one Patreon subscription. At what, <laughs> at what point do you make a Patreon? Not yet. Not at no, not now. Uh, no, not at all. I'm just saying once we do make a Patreon, the tier one subscription will be that I shave your balls. I will go to your house mm. and shave your balls if we get the manscaped uh, sponsorship. So both of those things yeah. have to happen. So it has okay. to be a pretty hefty, like, monetary tie-in for them to be tied into the Patreon campaign. But we'll talk. We'll talk. Yeah, we'll figure it out. We I mean, I'm going level. over shaving people's balls. So, like, yeah. I mean, there's got to be a pretty monetary gain for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, it's also a, a pretty big thing that you're saying you're going to do here. You know, this is, this is being recorded as well. Well, this you be, know. There's posterity here. Yeah. Well, you have it on recording. We have it on recording. We'll bust it out in in 10 years. Uh, But yeah, I had a couple of questions for you guys. I sent these to you earlier uh, just to sort of go over like the last year of the show. Um, So I had three here. Might add another one, but I wanted to start off with number one. What movie are you most thankful was brought to your attention for the show that you'd never seen? Oh, Alex, I'm going to let you go first on this one, man. I got to think about that. Okay. Well, it's Barry Lyndon, right, Jeff? Well, no, I had two. Um, one was gonna be a Scanner Darkly. I really liked that one, and that that one changed a lot for me because I I started off hating it for no reason other than I thought it wasn't cool at first when I was young. So, like Mm -hmm. rediscovering a movie like that, it it's a it's a mixture of like bittersweetness where you're like, awesome, I got to actually enjoy this movie, and it actually ended up being really good. But then there's the other half of that, like feeling where you feel this like weird pang of like guilt for a moment, where you're just like, man, I should have just not been so close-minded about this film in uh, the first place. We are who we are, man. We are who we are, especially in your teenage years. It helps to it. It's helped to change the way that I'll think about movies from now on. Because when I th- look at a movie like The Tomorrow War. Still haven't seen it. Still think it's probably <laughs> fucking trash. But a little tiny thing in my mind is like, hey, Alex, like, you you know, 
come back to it <laughs> in like 10 years. So that mm, film, that film maybe. I really liked. And then, I don't know. I think that... Holy Mountain? <laughs> I was going to say, I think the Holy Mountain was probably the second choice as far as like the most like alarming or like invigorating choice that you've chosen. Because I've expected some of the other ones. Like Antichrist, I had already seen before. Some of the other films you've chosen, like I've already gotten the feeling of them. But the Holy Mountain was kind of early on in the podcast and it was kind of just like... I don't know. I'd never seen a film like that. So those two, definitely. Moon, Moon. I want to give a shout out to as well. That one was in like a runner up for me. Yeah. It, you know, looking back, I had a thought the other day. It's almost a shame that we did the Holy Mountain so early because we do it much better justice now. That episode is, it's very early. It's a very early episode. For yeah, us. but I think I it's think, still think, really good. Yeah. It's really good. It was like our first real deep dive into a movie that we had done beyond just like talking about it on the podcast like i don't know like you had a whole structure to it i I listen back to the holy mountain sometimes and i really enjoy that discussion i mean our mic quality is not as good and editing is not it's still amateurish but you know it's fun yeah no i agree i agree i just thought like i don't know I just had that thought. But yeah, there anyway, may be. I mean, we'll we might have that. to redo those first three episodes down the road one day. Just, it's like revisit it. That'll be another three. Patreon tier subscription. Like we hit enough people and we'll fucking do <laughs> the first three episodes over the again. The people are clamoring. The people exactly. are clamoring for a redo plan- of the bet. No the- hot dog jokes this time. I'm planning for the, the clam. Way. Right. We gotta We've do, got to do the whaling. Not a test um, run, just like a, yeah. a regular. Session. That was our the, first, like, like that was episode zero. Yeah. Was the that was episode zero. Alex and Jeff had never spoken to each other, and I wanted these guys on the <laughs> show. And so we watched a few movies. We watched The Whaling. We talked about that for like three fucking hours. The movie's great. But we also watched Hard Rain, yeah. the Christian <laughs> Slayer oh, film. Shit. Such a piece of junk. Oh, oh I hated that fucking movie uh, so much. We could honestly do an episode on that. We haven't done many hate casts, and maybe we need to because they're fun. Uh, hard rain is um, a hard one. But yeah, Jeff. Uh, yeah. What movie? Oh man, Go it's like it's question. hard because a lot of the movies that I would pick were movies that were just new films that had come out that I was just like thought were awesome. That we had covered, like Pig, well, Green Knight. Well, I might say as well that much like the awards that we give, this isn't necessarily to pick a movie. It's just to promote yeah. discussion. So whatever you think about is fair game. Yeah, I just thought that... I mean, really, I just thought that we covered just the best movies of last year, which was something that was really cool for me. Like, I think we really hit on a lot of the just the high-quality films that had come out. Like Pig and Green Knight and Dune. That might be it. Oh, yeah, and Dune. That might be it, though. <laughs> oh, and The Matrix Resurrections, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. And I just like the fact that like we were able to catch those movies and talk about them while they were still relatively fresh because of our schedule. Uh, but as far as just a film that I really appreciate knowing about now, um, probably Valhalla Rising. That movie was just so good and, like, piqued my personal interest hence why you uh, you can i'm so like frantically nerdgasming on that episode <laughs> yeah jeff saved that episode my brain was not working that morning even though it was my choice but i think jeff saved the episode with his analysis so yeah. props to you, the red buddy. line 
Yeah, Thin dude. Red Line. Thin Red Line was just a, like probably one of my favorite discussions of all of us. I felt like one of the fir- like there was no humor, which is not a good thing, but it was just it was a very somber discussion. It was very good. I just I really appreciated that that film. So I really look at the movies that that had the f- best discussions. That was the most fun to record. They're all fun to record. But. We do, we do hit different tenors though. Sometimes I mean we we'll bring this back. We all do have English degrees, as Alex was talking about earlier. Um, so we do get into that sort of deep dive analytical sort of thing that we do. But we also do Christmas with the cranks, you know. So <laughs> there are different levels here to work with, and I, I enjoy doing all of them for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun uh, having you watch all Paul Thomas Anderson. I think that. Um, Alex and I were a little more familiar with him than you were. So that was, I really enjoyed that deep dive. That was fun, yeah. What about you? Um, Wait, was that your choice, Jesse? For- no, because I'd seen all those mostly. Um, what would my choice be? You know what? I looked through all these and I had seen almost all of these before. Almost all. But I think the one that I had not seen and the most glad that someone brought it to my attention. Is actually E.T. Mama Tambien. I knew oh. it. I Hell fucking yeah. knew it. Hell yeah. <laughs> Fuck <knew> yeah. <laughs> that movie's like, it's pretty fucking perfect and it's amazing. And uh, go go listen to that episode. It's a good one. You hear, hear Jeff go off on one for like 20 minutes first. <laughs> it sucks because like, I didn't want to choose this film as the favorite movie we've reviewed. But as far as our favorite, dis- my favorite discussion... I did not know that you guys were going to like uh, City of God. Like, I didn't know it was going to be such a vibrant discussion, I will say. Yeah, I thought it was going to be kind of like one. a shorter episode. So that was probably my favorite conversation we had. Mm, that is the next question. Like, yeah. I don't know if that's biased because of it's my pick, right? Like, Yeah, I don't know. I think one of my favorite discussions that we had was actually just Donnie Darko. Oh, like yeah. I enjoyed the shit out of that discussion and I've listened to it a couple times afterwards, you know, as just, it's the perfect balance of nerding out being comedic, like naturally comedic. If I can like toot our horn slightly, I guess <laughs> it depends on your subjectivity if we're funny or not, but, um, just, it had the balance and I loved revisiting it and going through all the little things that make that movie tick because it's, it's, it's a banger. It's yeah. a childhood favorite as well. Yeah, I was actually surprised you weren't going to pick that one. Uh, like, I knew you were going to pick E2 Mama, but I thought maybe you'd pick Donnie Darko as well. Well, I can't because it was uh, the question was, what are you thankful brought to your attention know, that you've never seen? So, And I, I'd seen it like a hundred times. Just not in a while. Um, but yeah, my so the favorite episode to do, we, we've covered that as well. But what's the mo- what's the worst movie? What is the worst movie we've covered and uh, why? I have. Well, it's I have hard it. to say because we've done like terrible movies intentionally. Like The Matrix Christmas Resurrections. But the Matrix, Matrix Resurrections, Resurrections is yeah. the worst fucking piece of shit we have yeah. ever talked about on the show. <laughs> Even with funny uh, games. Yeah. Even with the, Christmas the, of the Cranks. I was going to say Christmas. Those are bad movies. But yeah, yes. Matrix Resurrections was an insult to film and intelligence <laughs> en masse. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I knew that had to be the one, but the I, I wanted to explore the rationale a little bit because it's like Funny Games was loathsome. I hated it, but it, at least it elicited a reaction and sort of like helped define the borders of cinema in a weird way. And I remember that movie extremely well. 
even though it was one of our first episodes and I didn't like it at all. But then, yeah, we have done some total, like, objective trash, like Cranks, which was just our me pranking you guys for Christmas, basically. <laughs> and then In the Name of the King is, like, but that, that movie's <sighs> interesting to yeah, me. Yeah, still. Because it has that production element <laughs> yeah. that's, yeah. like, fascinating, where you're like, what the fuck is happening? Why is Ray Liotta in it? Why does this movie cost $90 million? <laughs> Dude, Ray Liotta was in that yeah. movie. Dude, Ray Liotta I was forgot. so fucking bad. Ray Liotta is like. Oh my god, I forgot how horrible he was. He was fucking terrible. He was like an evil witch king. I forgot how terrible he was. He was all bloated and shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were talking about the toy line you can make for Uh, that movie with Ray Liotta with digestible cheeseburger. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, dude. Okay, yeah. That movie's Um, fucking terrible. But but it had to it has to be the Matrix Resurrections. I've never hated watching anything more. Yeah, it's the worst it is film worse I've than ever like seen. a snuff film. <laughs> it is the worst. Fucking trash. It is the worst. Yeah, it's literally right above like ISIS beheading videos. It went so far beyond any metric I had for how much I could hate a film. It, it went so far beyond it. It's made me. If if Funny Games defined the border, this movie like pushed the border way further it lowered the bar <laughs> james cameron's got to go down there to find that bar <laughs> uh if anything like it's submersible it's made the other sister the other wachowski sister who decided not to work on the film into a saint for me i like view her as a god now i'm just yeah. like i don't <laughs> care what you do the fact that you didn't have anything to do with this makes me like put you on this pedestal and i will do i will watch anything you make from here on out because you made the right decision so mm, yeah i think i might be done with done with lena wachowski forever i don't think i can watch another one after that yeah that but it's probably shit. enough matrix talk um but yeah i appreciate you boys being here i love doing this we will continue to do it maybe we'll mark every year with a Macbeth. although we'll probably run out i, I don't know I don't know. There are a lot of Macbeth movies. Yeah, there are tons. Yeah, no, I, mean, I, I think I would love to do the um, BBC Macbeth, the 1971. One day. Yeah, we got Kurosawa's Throne of Blood. We could talk about. There are a lot, but um, absolutely. In any case, in any case, so thank you, my boys, for being here, and thank you to the listeners as well. If you're hanging out with us, we love that you're here. Hop in the comments, say what's up. We'd love to hear from you. And now I think we will move on to the tragedy of Macbeth. The T of M. The tragedy of Mackie Bethelstein. Um, what do you guys booth. think? Is is pretty shit, right? Now Joel Cohen doesn't know how to make a goddamn movie. I don't know what he's doing. Never heard of him, and I don't know who this lead character is. And black and white sucks. Black and white sucks. Yeah, they really fucked up here. People aren't gonna watch this. Like, not only is it black and white, but it's narrow aspect ratio. Like, hello, it's 2022 now. 2021 <laughs> when this came out. This isn't 1945. All right, okay? wide screens exist. Wide screens exist. You're not gonna. You're not gonna get into the Chinese markets when you cast a black guy. Okay, this, he's just not thinking right. <laughs> Jeff liked that one. You I know, I didn't really, really get it. You weren't gonna go there. <laughs> I didn't get the movie. It seemed like it was kind of, uh, I don't know, lifted, kind of plagiarized. I've read the story before plenty of times. So yeah, I don't know. I didn't really get it. It's not original material. No, okay. it isn't. And uh, okay. I don't like... Jeff's so done. Like <laughs> I don't really wearing itself out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Chachi Macbeth. 
It's great. Yeah, it's yeah. fucking perfect. It's really fucking great. It's fucking amazing. Yeah, it's like yeah I want to. I want to hear from Jeff first. Tell us your your thoughts on oh the tragedy. Oh my god, of the Fed, dude! This, oh, you're the you're the big Shakespeare guy. Out of this the three of us. movie is exactly what I wanted from a new 2022 Macbeth film. Exactly what I wanted. Like uh, 2015 Macbeth was great, and I watch it many times over. I watched Jesse's uh, like um, screenshot showcase of it. I mean, that's how much I love that movie. Like, I was just like, oh, this is so cool. Like, I watched all these cool scenes that you had captured. And so I love that movie. But it is definitely a movie that, as far as a Shakespeare fan, they edited down. They cut lines here or there. They moved lines around to shape this kind of different but the same style story. You know, you have... um, uh, you have Duncan's son, Malcolm, meeting up with Macbeth in the tent, as opposed to the way it happened in the play, where they meet up outside, and they all have a discussion, and then by themselves they decide. So this movie was very much the play. It, they didn't edit out lines, they didn't cut anything, it's everything kind of... Ta- it really felt like that BBC version, where it felt like it was taking place on a soundstage, which I think it was, and all the sets were... It was all shot on sound stages, yes, and all constructed sets. Yeah, it's it's all handmade sets. It all, you feel that depth and that that isolation feeling you get from soundstage type performances like that, where you feel so isolated in the world, like you're peering into a little uh, lens into this world. The fucking black and white, I'm just going to keep going. I'm sorry. Uh, the, yeah. The black and white as a photographer, as an amateur photographer, Dude. the black and white, the values that, that Cohen was able to achieve is unbelievable. The way that, the contrast that he is able to, create like by just these true rich pure blacks like pure blacks oh not only that but the way that he utilizes those to to play with symmetry and shadow like the way the the shadow shadow works in the construction of the shots is insane it's it's amazingly cool to watch and and then the shortened aspect ratio gives like a i guess more likening to that tunnel view that i was talking about you feel like you're kind of trapped in this like crystal ball macbeth world yeah and everything is like warped around it i'm I'm specifically talking about that scene where he's walking towards the door and the dagger is the handle upon the door i mean just come on (laughs) visual i gotta stop because i'm just gonna start describing the movie (laughs) so the yeah well i mean we can go into the visual element which is striking and astonishing and also i think this movie costs like under two million under a million even maybe uh which is insane cost the price of lumber basically right seriously and just lighting like light bulbs um, but yeah, man, the way he utilizes symmetry and shadow and the utilization and the choice of that aspect ratio is interesting. We talked a little bit about that in the come on, come on episode where we talked about aspect ratios. And I think I even mentioned this film and when we were talking about that one yeah. where it has the effect of making you feel number one, claustrophobic, which is, this is a very panicky claustrophobic movie. And it's also it also emphasizes the performances and it's a performance movie for sure we could get into that but but before i start waffling on alex what'd you think (laughs) of the tragedy of macbeth so i thought it was amazing i mean it's hard to fuck up macbeth it's hard to fuck up if you're a cohen 
especially. I want to focus on for a second just the interesting fact that Ethan apparently just doesn't want to make movies anymore. And so Joel took it, oh. took it up and was like, hey. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, it's it's really, really strange. Um, yeah, it was strange seeing just Joel's name on this. Yeah, it's, so without like taking away from the film for a second, I just think it's very interesting that this was like the film that he chose to do. And the visual aspect of it, if we want to get like real technical with film history, there's a movie called The Cabinet of Dr. Kalag. Caligari Caligari which is like I from believe. 1920 it's one of the most like iconic films ever my wife loves that movie so if you look at the set design really I get her on the show <laughs> <laughs> Jeff get out of here <laughs> if you look at the set design and the way that they shoot that movie it looked like they called back to the that movie with this one at least with the way that they were framing it and you're totally right Jeff with the way that the perspective and like the line of view is changed where I love how you said you felt like you were in like a crystal ball. I felt like I was in, you know, those pop-up books when you're a kid that you open the page and like that 2D rendering, oh, 3D rendering yeah. pops up. That's what I felt like I was in. And it made it so fucking creepy and so unsettling, but it was beautiful. And like, I was like, okay, the shadows were also, I feel like, <laughs> I hate saying this, but I feel like this is like, the movie that Tim Burton dreams of making. Like he oh, wishes he could make this movie. He could do yeah. That. Like, and he just couldn't, he could never make this movie. And yeah, no, I think this movie's perfect. I think it's Everyone amazing. Striped pajamas. If he did this movie. <laughs> yeah. I think in terms of why he chose this movie, I don't know exactly, but my rationale would be that it was a pandemic project. And this is something he has probably tossed around in his brain for a long time. And the fact that you have such a limited number of actors, very few extras, you know, this is something you could very much do during a pandemic in terms of making a film. You know, other people have done some pandemic projects. Soderbergh had a had a good one. But but I, th I mean, that's what I think happened here in terms of that mm -hmm. would be my guess. Yeah, that's a good guess. I mean, say you don't need that much crew. You know, a couple lighting yeah. guys. It's like, you know, it's very much a pared down set like they used to have in these these kind of BBC performances or these like recorded performances of plays was, was very pared down. And you're right, there's not many actors, but the cast list is banging. Yeah. Yeah. So what do we think? Let's go down the list here. What do we think of Denzel as Macbeth? That was the hardest one for me. Really? And, it, and it's not for the reason people are going to think. <laughs> I promise you. It's, it's not because you're trying to break into the Chinese markets. <laughs> it's because of its accents alone. Him doing the choice for him not to do a British accent, I totally agree with. Denzel's never been known for doing a British accent, so why would he start now? So that's a smart move. But having him do the lines in an American accent was very strange to me because it was very contrasting to some of the other characters. So it was a very mixed bag. So that that was the hardest hurdle for me. But otherwise, it's Denzel, dude. He fucking slayed it. I did not. I feel this feels crazy to say this, but I did not even think about that one time. That's crazy, and I watched this movie dude. Twice. The first sentence he said, I was like, ooh. That's I don't, strange yeah, in an American yeah, I accent. Think you, guys, you guys pay attention to accents in movies more than I do. Um, 
And I, yeah, I didn't even think about it. Well, this is it a British did not even, Scottish. It was not even a, a, a blip on my radar. I mean, I this, know. Mo- this movie's supposed to have full Scottish accents. I didn't think about it in 2015, Macbeth. Well, they Marianne all have Cotillard Scottish fr- accents. That's no, why. they didn't. Marion Cotillard had a French accent. Yeah, they're kind of, but they're like, you know, it's, it's, okay, yeah. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're right. You're <laughs> okay. right about that. I, I agree with you, Jeff, that it was kind of unsettling, but I, I thought I, I kind of appreciated it. I, I didn't want to see, if you're not going to cast all Highland Scottish fucking actors, then don't, or or at least hire actors that are from the UK, then obviously you're going to do away with, like, we're trying to keep this as British as possible. Sure. You know? And then it being from an American director, I think he was probably just like, you know what, fuck it. Just, just speak in your normal accent. And maybe even Denzel was like, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to read this straight without trying to add any affectation to it or anything like that. And I think when you speak in your natural accent, when you do do Shakespeare, it helps like <laughs> get into the feeling of it. If Denzel did a British <laughs> accent, this movie would have been fucking terrible. It would have been terrible. It would have been Mary Poppins level terrible accent. If Denzel, I'm not going to say it would be terrible, but if Denzel was doing a Scottish accent, I would have been so distracted. Even a British accent. I would accent, have been so distracted. Which is a little even bit easier. That's what I'm saying. I'm even giving the benefit. I'm not even saying a Scottish accent, which should be even more on point. I'm even saying just give him a British accent. That would have been passable because most of these performances were made like filmed by British actors mm. back in the day. And so it's like, but he's never been known to do that. So it would have been a horrible decision to mm. make him well, do that. So it worked. Event, they and didn't. It, <laughs> and it didn't persist that feeling. It didn't track the whole movie. It went away pretty quickly, but it was my only like blip on Denzel's performance and on the initially and then it just kind of went away and he killed it because it's fucking Denzel <laughs> he killed it it is I will say it was a little I think for the first half it was hard for me to not think about him as Denzel because while Denzel is a great actor he always kind of plays Denzel you know what I mean um to, to one degree or another he's not super transformative in the way that somebody like a Daniel Day-Lewis plays completely different people. Yeah, but you can't compare everyone to him. <laughs> I'm well, I'm just I'm just using it as an easy comparison. Yeah. Okay. okay? To make to make a point Brad that Brad Pitt is a transformative I'm saying, actor. I'm saying like it's Denzel, but he completely won me over, especially in the second half when he starts to lose it. I think his performance gets really cool and unsettling yeah. there. And I was like, all right, you earned that Oscar nom. Man, way, way more than Will fucking Smith, but digress on that one. I mean, yeah, like, I agree with you about Denzel, Jesse, that there's these moments in time that he kind of, like, breaks through where you're like, okay, yeah, this is, this is Denzel. But I feel like, you know, there were moments in training day towards the end where his personality starts to break off a little bit, and you realize that he's actually, like, kind of, like, fucked, and he's, like, on this crazy just, like, psychotic bad cop level that he does he does do well at playing and when he does do that he kind of disappears into the role so i agreed the second half of the movie he kind of just like fluttered away but i don't know i just feel like without going too far forward that francis mcdormand kind of like overshadowed denzel for me in the film so i wasn't i wasn't super keyed in on him because it's also denzel that i'm like you're gonna be good i'm not gonna fucking you know like 
No, I like that. And that, that leads me right into the next point. I was about to, you know, you, you bridged us over to Frances McDormand, who I have to say, I completely agree. She owns this movie. And every scene that she's in, like, she just slaughters. Yeah. She's amazing. Yeah. She's amazing. Can I give some historical context? No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, uh, so... So there's an argument out there with uh, Shakespearean scholars that Lady Macbeth is actually the main character and that Shakespeare was trying to attempt to write a female as a main character of Macbeth, that she was really like the driving protagonist underneath, like, because there's a another school of thought where it's like, is she a villain or is she just a victim? There's always there's still that debate going on. Yeah, so it's there's like, that argument. Regardless of that argument, is she a pilot? Is Macbeth just a pilot for this character's intentions and wills? And I really feel like Frances McDormand showed that side of that argument, where it's like just she was so larger than life in that in this role, so powerful, takes such command. A lot. I love the way they they kept getting real. Cl- I mean, this movie's a movie of cl- of close shots, but. Her mm-hmm. shots were always so tight, and it was all in her face, these, like, deep, heavy lines of, like, you could see almost, like, years of, like, worry as a lady of a Scottish house. Like, I don't know, and, and it just perfectly flips, like, the way her attitude flips between the, uh, when Macbeth decides to uh, kill Duncan and then kind of goes back on it. It's It's so hard to capture that raw... Uh, disappointment that Lady Macbeth mm-hmm. Macbeth experiences, and she she gets it so well without being because some actresses do it in a more condescending, like uh, "Were you not a man before?" You know, like but like the way she does it is almost like inquisitive and questioning and gaslighty, and, and it's it's you can see the mental gymnastics uh, in play. You see the cogs turning. I loved that scene. She's like, I think she does both sort of tenors of Lady Macbeth very well um, when she is sort of power mad and egging him on in a sense but then her losing it and sliding into dementia is much like in the same way that Denzel's performance really ratcheted itself up a notch in the second half I think hers did as well the second half when she's like that moment when she pulls her hair out I was like oh my god it's such an effective visual yeah. Well, yeah, it's definitely a play of two parts. You know what's yes. hilarious, though? Even still, after these two conversations, neither of them are like my main best actor in the film. Is it Alex Hassel as Ross? Nope. No? It is oh. Catherine what do you think? as the witches. And the oh. I just I knew it. Dude, her per- oh. she stole the movie for me. Like unbelievable dude. visuals with the witches. The witches are something uh. that's so unique because they are an allegory to the chorus, which is you know of the the Greek chorus, mm-hmm. and so it's it's such a strange because they are the chorus in the play. Can you but, explain that a little bit if people don't know? So the Greek chorus is 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 a group in Greek old Greek plays and and literature that it kind of. I guess you could call them the narrator. They they tend to exist outside of the play itself and, and kind of set the scene or sometimes give context between where we are and where we're going. Uh, they're they're the outside expl- 
uh, expository force. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And in this, in Shakespeare, Shakespeare plays tend to have choruses. They tend to have a, a, out, an outside where we'll explain like, okay, now we have moved on to here and these characters have done this. And, and he always has that. But in Macbeth, it's unique because the chorus is a character in the play. It's the three witches are their own unique character. And so you have this dynamic where it's a, it's a play between the chorus and the character. The, the witches know what the chorus knows. They know everything that's going to happen, will happen. They, they, they explain it. They give the context of the curse. But at the same time, they are a tangible piece of this world that is unique and has consequences to Macbeth's to the interactions. And that's that's Shakespeare's genius allowing you to reach out and touch the play as a viewer. You can reach out and touch the chorus and go, wow, that's a thing. That's a tangible thing that's here. And that's beautiful. And and uh, yeah, so uh, Alex, sorry. I, just, I totally agree, man. Sorry. Oh, yeah. It was just like surprised. Surprising. They are like the fulcrum of the story. And I, I'm so I might ask you about the play a little bit, Jeff, because I'm hazy on the play at this point. I did not revisit it. It's been a long time. But in terms of the other adaptations I've seen of Macbeth, and I've seen a lot in the last year, actually, like over five um, just sort of happened. But they're more of a fulcrum in this film than they were in any of the others. Like we could bring the 2015 Macbeth in because we've talked about that. And we're all fresh with it. But the way that they have an agent in this film in the form of Ross, played by Alex Hassell, mm-hmm. which I kind of picked up on on the first the first watch because it's hard not to. But on a second watch, I was like, wow. So this guy literally is like an agent of the witches. There are all these little things that he does. Like when he visits, um, oh God, Macduff's family mm-hmm. and he sees the forces coming, but he doesn't tell her about it. He just sees it. There are these little moments where like he sees Lady Macbeth on the staircase and it cuts away, it cuts back to see her murdered. The fact that he hides Fleance with the old man who I figured out in the second watch is the witches. Mm-hmm. I didn't pick mm-hmm. up on that the first time. It's like, and dude, even his outfit, his outfit with the black and the, the, the like wings on it. I was like the black birds, the black birds in this film are the harbinger of the witch slash witches, the weird sisters. And he's dressed in this bird like uniform. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's so yeah, cool. That's definitely uh, artistic interpretation. That was something that was added in. Yes. Okay, I yeah. thought so. I yes. figured. In the play, when Fleance disappears, he just disappears. He runs from Banquo's murder, and you never see him again. But I like that. I like that, though, because one of the best things you can do when you do an interpretation like this is not just put your visual stamp on it, which Joel Cohen obviously did. This movie is a marvel to look at. But also to create a text of your own for interpretive sort of viewing. You know, and by like by mingling those elements like that with the Ross character, I feel like he created this new text. You know, it, no, it was great. It was almost like a a little touch of uh, of I felt like almost like the I don't know if anyone's seen Netflix The Witcher, but it, it it had almost that touch to it where it was like this newer style of narrative that you you teach you show with these like visual cues to 
I don't know, things that are more popular, like this whole like raven thing we have from Game of Thrones. I don't know. Sorry, Alex. I'm talking too much. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. I was just listening. No, was Alex good. just hasn't talked too much this episode, <laughs> yeah, just, and I just I'm wanted just to like, have his input. Jump in, buddy. Um, no, I was going to say that it's it's probably the most minimalist, even more so than 2015. You know, because 2015's Macbeth was like an attempt at kind of stripping down Macbeth into more of a visual type of aspect. And this was like, I don't know. Have you seen the, I believe it's 1948, the that version by Orson Welles? No, but I was going to ask about The Seventh Seal and how similar oh. that movie visually is was reminding me of this with certain costume choices with certain like shots i mean when the seventh seal was made it was it was in black and white but the outfits that they wear and everything are just so they're just so like similar to old movie style macbeth that i feel like he made this kind of kaleidoscope of macbeth and homages to film through it and you get this, what seemingly seems to be very simple on the surface visually, but like you guys are saying, there's very small visual cues with like the avian themes and whatnot with the birds. I just want to stress again that the old man and the witches are all played by the same person, which is fucking yeah. insane. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so there's, I, I, I can see what you're saying with the seventh seal. I believe that was like 45 or something, maybe a little earlier, maybe a little later. Okay. Um, but yeah, that sort of like dour, high contrast, black and white. You got Max von Sydow's face in there. Yeah. He's wearing those costumes. I could see that. But I think in terms of Macbeth adaptations, this one is definitely closest to the Orson Welles one because that one was also like on constructed sets. It was very much the same kind of thing that he was doing. Oh, I think that just lends to a deeper feeling of uh, connection to the to the material when it's on the built sets like I feel much more connected w to these stories when they're on a sound stage because there's just a tan these movies sorry these these plays that Shakespeare wrote explore these ideas where at the time were very intangible that not many people talked or thought about and them being reenacted on a sound stage with these handmade sets, the the the, the gen, then generic um just the, the ambient lighting that they have that they've set up the lights themselves there's no like lighting effects or anything added into the film and that's so important when you're filming in black and white because the slightest different value in a light can create such a different version of black or gray and there's so much time and detail taken to every little minutia of the set and that in itself is a character if that makes sense the set needs to to take on a role as part of the film and the way the way it has almost a funhouse effect as the movie starts to go on and the and the and the madness sets in the camera angles start to warp and the effect almost the sets become more like angular and oh, especially with the shadows yeah the shadows it's beautiful how the set changes and that's that's an important thing to have in Shakespeare, I feel. Do you think that do you think that you are drawn to that because it allows you to more focus on the play? Like because the 2015 Macbeth, it is Macbeth, but 
it's it's hyper stylized in a different way that's very grandiose and very like wow where this one is it is more hemmed in it allows the performances to i don't know it just feels more like a play yeah it's still definitely a film I, i'm not exactly it, sure the, where i'm going with this it, but the 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 sets don't take over the performances like they did in the 2015 when you have these huge wide shots of this burnt orange sky and and it's it's, it's gorgeous and you have these gorgeous long shots of the Scottish Highlands where in this it's all condensed to the actors and they are the ones who are supposed to make you feel like this area that you're in is real and yeah. that's an important aspect of working on a real set the 2015 one feels a lot more now at least it feels a lot more dated and I mean that word like in the least negative way but in 2015, I feel like, I don't know, the the movie-going audience was thirsty for big epic sets like that, right? You know, Game of Thrones was getting popular or was popular by that the time. The slow-mo. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, very, you wanted to see, like, these wide, expansive shots and whatnot. And now, in the second decade of the 21st century, art is changing in a way that it's, like, we're kind of going back to some of the more traditional ways of showing things, but also making it more avant-garde in the way that it's like groundbreaking, quote unquote. Um, there's a critic who talks about this film who said it's stage bound in all of the right places, which I think is a good way mm. of putting what you guys were talking Definitely. about. You Definitely. know, so it's like, I don't know, we were talking about claustrophobia in, in movies in one of our book reports. And this film plays on that theme and that aspect. And it does it to a degree that is not like gratuitous, right? It's not just some weird like camera effect or something like that. I don't know. It just is so unique in the way that it was playing technically with showing me a staged Macbeth play. Because there are other ways you can show me a staged Macbeth play that are kind of flat, almost like 2D. And this was just so interesting the way I felt like I was like, going through this like kaleidoscope or like funhouse like you said i love how you said funhouse that's the perfect way yeah. to put it yeah the uh it does so i i love the 2015 macbeth that's we uh, that's on record multiple times but this does feel a little more cohesive than that on the filmmaking element alex because where that one it does have this beautiful nature but i think it it does overshadow the performances at times or maybe not overshadow but it it, it maybe distracts is a strong word, but it feels less cohesive when you do have Shakespeare and it does linger on these like slow motion epic battles with the red sky and fire and mm -hmm. all that stuff. And at the same time, he had some shots in that movie that I hated where he was like shaking the camera or like letting it like, it's like the cameraman was drunk and it's like tilting to the side, like yeah. half Dutch angle when people are talking and you're like, stop, stop doing that. <laughs> Or when Fleance is getting uh, assaulted, it's like that. The filmmaking there was bad. Yeah, it was very um, this hand. one, this one is just completely cohesive. You are in the world of the narrative and the story the whole time, and the visual element is there. It, it's perfectly balanced in terms of emphasizing the emotions of the performances mm -hmm. right it's just like i'll go back to this word cohesive 
it just feels more cohesive than the 2015 Macbeth, if that makes sense. Yeah, it totally makes sense. And like the way you're talking about like the, the, the performances, like, I mean, you can simply watch certain lines back to back of those two films and get in and like some lines have an entirely different read in this film that's so much more interesting. Like I really love like in the in, in 2015 when they get the, the prophecy from the witches, he says at the end, he's like, uh, uh, you Banquo says to Macbeth, you will be king. Or he says, your sons will be kings, you know? And Banquo uh, kind of smacks him on the arm and he's like, you know, you will be king. Like, it's like, it's like almost like a buddy-buddy thing. Whereas in, in this one, Tragedy of Macbeth, Banquo's very skeptical the entire time. And, and those two lines are read differently. Banquo reads it as like, and you will be king? Like, it's, 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 it's so different. Or the out damn spot line like in the 2015 she's so frantic she's, that she's crying the out damn spots and she has this like but in this one it's so much more like a structured like it needs to happen like a it's command reserved. yeah yeah it's, so, it's, it's 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 in control yeah this one this one is like it brings the focus visually and narratively they both compound with each other to create this like emphasis on the human aspect and the actual people so in, in all, not all the other Macbeths, but in 2015, because of the introduction of the wide expansive landscape shots and in other Macbeths that I've seen, there's almost this aspect of like the evil has come and like sprung up out of nature and has befallen on this poor couple of Lady Macbeth and Macbeth. And they just happen to succumb to the pressures of evil. First, Lady Macbeth at the window pining out into the night, right? And then she poisons her husband's mind and all this shit. This one is all just like the humans. You are making these choices. You are like coming for power. You are like continually making choices that because I can't escape visually from you, I'm just focused on you. Because Cohen is just like, we're in this fun house. We're in this crystal ball, like snow globe, right? With these people. I'm going to give you nothing of the outside world. So it's really... All of the source theme, all of the source evil and everything, it just comes from all of these people. Yeah, it's, it's present within each character as, uh, as as almost as nature itself. And I like, I love how you mentioned it seemed like the witches come out of nature because the first time, where shall we meet upon, mm-hmm. you know, upon the heath, upon the heath, upon the battlefield. Like yep. the, the, these fields, these moors, of sprawling dead would rot and bring ravens and all kinds of weirdos who would come picking the bodies for loot mm, or for, like that. for treasures. Yeah. So the, the, the heath itself, these battlefields spawn these evil creatures. They, they, they come and you can see in both films, we see the weird sisters utilizing the blood of the dead man to uh, make their potions, to mm-hmm. make their their alchemical ingredients and stuff, they literally come from the mist of the dead. It's 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 gorgeous. Mm. Yeah, I if I'm gonna watch it again, which I will at some point, I want to try to think about how they're tied to Ross, especially, and like if he's their agent to begin with, or if there's a certain moment that he becomes their agent. Did you guys think about that or pick up on that? Yeah, I, th- I think it's the first scene when he kind of wanders and sees the old man. Yeah, and then they, they 
get cuts away, so they probably have a conversation yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think, think that's because right. he's kind of just like seems very innocently kind of moving about the area, the the set, and then he like wanders upon this character that from there kind of changes his trajectory. It's like a little push in a different direction, and then these pushes keep happening. Yeah, maybe. I'm not certain. Yeah, I'm a little more watery on Ross, Jesse. Sorry to answer your question, but I guess I'd have to. I'd have to agree with Jeff. I think that's there. the point. Yeah, the ambiguity. Yeah, is I think interesting. The point is like, it's. I think Cohen is making a smart choice where he's like, I'm gonna add something into this film, but I'm gonna make it ambiguous so it doesn't become a huge factor in the story that detracts yeah. from what this is. It's just an interesting shadow that he added. To like, his what own if production this? And, there. And that's great because Macbeth has a lot of that. It has a lot of people who go, oh, well, maybe Shakespeare meant this. The, Macbeth is supposed to be a sequel. A lot of people believe because it ends so kind of open for a sequel. You know, it ends like with this whole kind of Macbeth's done and, uh, and, and Macduff is king, but then Fleance is still alive because where's Fleance? He was promised to be king one day too. So yeah. it's like... It was supposed to be a sequel, at least a lot of people believe. So there's still a lot of that open ambiguity that he, Cohen, just jumped on. I love it. I love the ambiguity. I heard a lot, too, that, like, at the time, it, I mean, it's one of Shakespeare's shorter plays, right? Yeah. I heard that at the time, writing a play about regicide <laughs> and the promising of a different line of kings was, like, not necessarily the safest form of, you know... I don't know yeah, how to say this. It, he framed it in a way where it showed like, hey, if you try regicide, this is what's going to happen to you and yeah, the rightful line will he, be restored. So the kings liked it, it, right? Yes, exactly. He wrote it as a a, a piece of, uh, uh, as a present to, I don't know if it was James. Edward. James. It was the new king of Scotland. And it was a it was a present to him as on his visit to Scotland. But... It was also I wrote actually wrote a whole paper on this. Um, That's tight. It was it, it it was in my belief, and I think a lot of uh, evidence supports this that it was a coded warning, right, to him, yeah, just to say, don't get too comfortable with men who appear to be your ally. Exactly, you are a foreign king in a foreign land. Scotland is not your home. You're an English king, so you don't belong here so watch your back mm -hmm. and so it that's kind of more where it's it's very coded and and that's why i think it was taken up a lot by a lot of kings because it has this message in it about how to be a good king like duncan's a good king and and that's another thing is shakespeare's kind of taking a dig at kings he's saying like Y'all, this is what a good king looks like. Someone mm -hmm. who's revered and loves his subjects and treats everyone with respect. And kings weren't like Duncan back then. Yeah. Yeah. I believe we touched on a similar thing in terms of Shakespeare in our uh, discussion of the 2015 where it does operate on these different levels where it's a warning to kings about, you know, looking at, looking at like, watching your back, essentially. But it's also about what it is to be a good king or a good man even. Like, beware the hunger for power, if you want to, like, put it broadly. So it's about, as Shakespeare generally is, it's about a couple things, not just about <laughs> one thing. How weird, you know? Um, He's not known for that at all. But, so, 
did you guys find any flaw in the film whatsoever? Anything, no matter how minor. Hmm. For me, um, and this is not a flaw with the film, it's just a flaw with me, but I have not read Shakespeare in a very long time, and there were a few conversations at least where even I knew what was going on because I know the story so well, but I had no idea what they were saying. It, I'm just going to totally lay that out. Mm-hmm. I was just like, what? Sure. It's just too fast. And it's something that I could figure out pretty easily if I were just sitting there reading it. But because I'm like looking at the visuals and looking at the filmmaking, looking at the performances, and this dialogue is flying by and it is so rich, my mind is just like, blur. Like, like I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so. I was, I was akin that stuff to, um, like when you read Train Spotting or Clockwork Orange. You know, uh-huh. you're reading right. something that has a different kind of weird written dialect, and it takes a few chapters to start to get. Like when I read Train Spotting, the first two chapters, I was like, what the fuck are they saying? Like, what is going on? And then oh, by yeah. the end of the book, I was like reading it in Scottish in my head. And that's Scottish like, yeah. rogue. Yeah, and so it's like you just the more you digest the material and more frequently you digest the material the more that 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 whimsical talk becomes more comprehensive yeah it's just very very rich okay yeah so you got one yeah it it perfectly connects to yours and it's it's weird to even like say but nothing about this film really Besides the visual, honestly, aspects, nothing about it blew me away. It didn't blow my socks off. It is Macbeth at its very core. It's nothing like, I don't know, like, choose a different Shakespeare play would be my biggest flaw. Choose a play that we have not seen over and over and over again. Choose one. Choose one that is maybe digested differently. And hell, Akira Kurosawa did it in the fucking 1950s with his movie. You can put it in a different dialogue. You can kind of clothe it up and disguise it a little bit, and it can still be a good movie. That being said, you're Joel Cohen. You can do whatever you want. Like, I'll still love the movie. But I was just like, oh, we're doing Tragedy of Macbeth. Okay, it has Denzel. It has Francis McDormand. Like, this was the buildup to the movie, right? We knew it was being made. We knew it was coming out. I knew it was... We knew it was going to be great. I knew it was the Coens, (laughs) right? So... It wasn't, it just wasn't anything that just like blew the, my socks off. It wasn't just like, oh my God, this is fucking insane. Yeah, it was you got just, exactly what you figured you'd get. Exactly. So well, that's, also, the, yeah. that's the only quote unquote flaw I guess I would have for it. But it could also be a, a you know, a it's all, yeah, way it's, to champion It could be praise film. as well. You're yeah. like, I'm not surprised that this was great. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. Well, I get what you're saying also, Alex. It's like, choose a different story. You know, like, you've heard yeah. Macbeth. You know Macbeth. Like, I do. Let's cho- and, like, it's, and, I, and I agree. Personally, as a Shakespeare fan, I agree. Like, I do. I say, like, let's stop making Macbeth. Let's stop making Romeo and Juliet. Let's start trying to adapt some of his other incredible plays. I'd love to watch more wild King Lear adaptations. I Dude, love that one. Patrick Stewart ha- did an amazing King Lear performance on a BBC, like a uh, multi, I think it was like a multi episode uh, play. And it I got to watch that. I love me some Patty Stewart. Incredible. I mean, he's probably my favorite King Lear of all time. And, uh, 
yeah, some of those stories. I, I would like, let's bring Hamlet back. Like, there, there's a lot of, I think and this speaks to what you're talking about, Alex. Is there's a lot of Hamlet-esque stories. Because Hamlet's mm-hmm. such a classic kind of hero's journey. I, I think, uh, sort of, <laughs> hero's tragedy. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, uh. It kind of goes there and then it takes quite a turn. But um, I mean, with what's happening today in the world, there are so many other themes than let's examine what happens to the man in power. Like when he gets the power, it's like, no, I know they're shitty. We know, we know the richest people in the world are shitty and dicking around. I just think if we, the merchant of Venice, it has to do with race, with brotherhood, with law, with legality, the way that we try people either in the media or in the court, that would be a perfect thing to bring up. Othello. Come on. Like, if you want to hit yeah, right mean, at the Othello American heart like of race relations right now, Othello would be one, a great one. And hell, you, you don't have to go by the book with Othello and be like, oh, Othello has to be African-American or black. You can make it anything you want and make it a totally different discussion. I'm just saying, let's reinvigorate Shakespeare a little bit. But Joel Cohn didn't set out to do anything other than that. So it's hard to talk about the flaws of this film. Jesse. Yeah, we're speaking broadly. Yeah. Did you have any flaws, Jeff? Probably not, right? No. no. Okay. <laughs> perfect movie. <laughs> that was awesome. Perfect movie, perfect story. That was awesome. Yeah. Um Yeah, do we want to do some awards? Sure. Let's do it. Um who gets our Phil Hoffman award for best performance? Francis McDormand. We still gotta modify. We get, we gotta figure out a female equivalent that we admire as much as Phil, to when we give it to a lady. But I agree, man. Frances McDormand killed it. Could Although, be Frances I mean, McDormand. <laughs> yeah, Frances McDormand. She's great in everything. So I'm gonna give it yeah. to Catherine Hunter, just my on my own. All right. The witch. Speaking of, she she was the first British woman to play King Lear professionally. She plays both man and, men and women roles. She's known as like the shapeshifter on the yeah, theater and we, whatnot. We saw that. She's so fucking We also did not give enough attention to how she gesticulates and uses her body. Oh, dude. It's fucking crazy. It's, it's such good physical <laughs> acting. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, props to her, man. Um, I drink your milkshake award for most memorable scene. That's a tough one. I've got That's a scene tough. I want to bring up. That yeah. is... When they visit him in the depths of his madness, and there's like that water child, ah, that was such cool visual filmmaking. It was so neat to watch. Dude, that part was was interesting for sure. What? Well, yeah. What's what was going on with that? Like, it's her master. Is it a version of her? Is it Satan? Who, <laughs> who, who's the <laughs> who's the water baby? <laughs> Satan. Satan. <laughs> Who's that water baby, Jeff? Come on. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. Cohen did his thing on this film, and I loved it. Um, All right. I don't... I mean... What's your favorite scene? I don't know, dude. It's so hard. Like, it's legitimate. Like, every second of the film is my favorite what's, scene. What's the one you'll think back to when you think, oh, Tragedy Macbeth. What's okay, the one so that will jump right Okay, so my favorite scene in Macbeth is... Uh, is this a dagger before me? This is my that's my favorite scene in the whole because it's it's the first sign of his madness. 
it's a hallucination. And that scene was done. I usually attribute here here are my favorite Macbeth scenes. How well did they do these scenes? Okay, that's that's good. I like that. So th- that the hallway scene where he's walking towards the door and the knife is the handle. That was the scene that every time I think about this movie pops into my head. It was, it's, yeah. it's so, it's a great interpretation because I've seen many interpretations of that hallucination. I've seen it where there's actual, just like a floating dagger. I like in 2015 where he looks down and now he just has a dagger in his hand, you know, or he's like reaching out and there's nothing in the 1971. Like there's, there's so many adaptations of this. And I love the idea that like the handle is the dagger because that's like a true hallucination where something real becomes distorted. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that. I think that the um, the dinner scene where not Banquo's ghost, ghost. I actually thought that scene was pretty lackluster. Um, yeah, that's usually my that's my favorite. That's scene usually the play. scene in the movie. That's yeah. the climax of the movie. They did it a little quickly. They kind of just brushed it over. So, but the scene where Macduff leaves for the first time with his and and walks out, like I thought that was like a really like they just created the tension so hard in that room. I I, I loved it. So, but probably yeah. the the dagger scene because that's just like one of my favorite scenes in the play. Yeah, solid choice. You got one, Alex. Yeah, this one's hard though because like the milkshake awards for what most uncomfortable or most memorable? most memorable. memorable. Okay, well, that one's easy then. So it's definitely the spotlight. Do you guys remember that scene? When, like, he's standing and it's With just Banquo? pitch black, and there's the spotlight, and he's just like that in the middle of the white circle in the screen. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I loved that. Yeah, Banquo scene. giving like a, a very stage like interlude. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, it's very much an aside. I loved that. I don't know. That's the beauty of being able to do like a stage play, but for a film, right? Is that you can like manipulate it in the ways that takes out all of like the, the in between. And when you go and see it in a theater, you know, like of them rearranging the set or like whatever they, I mean, they turn the lights off and shit, but they still have to do that in between all of it. And you kind of see that and it adds to going to the theater, but seeing able, being able to see it on film and have everything be so clean, and going to the Jeff's point about like the contrasting values of black and white, like I don't know, that part was just so cool to me. Um, so yeah, that's probably the most memorable scene visually for me. I thought up another one that I really enjoyed, which is towards the end, where the guy comes into the castle into Denzel's th- throne room, and Denzel's like, "Were you a woman born?" And then he just dispatches him <laughs> like so easily. <laughs> Uh, it's like a little bit of that, like what you think a Denzel movie is gonna be. That was the one part where it's like, oh shit, Denzel taking care of business. CCOB. <laughs> There's a Judy Dench, Ian McKellen, Macbeth that I have not seen in a long time that no. I think would be amazing to. to I like watch to see again. Judy Dench as Macbeth and Ian McKellen as Lady Macbeth. Dude, if it was today, maybe. When was the last time we got like a Midsummer Night's Dream? That. <laughs> Dude, no idea. Dude, those movies are like, I mean, th- if we focus more on the comedies of Shakespeare, but like, yeah, nobody wants to do that. Though. People don't do those. See, because yeah. they're stupid. 
those people are stupid and no one's talented <laughs> enough to pull those it off. Stupid <laughs> and dumb and what was lame. the last one? We had um, Josh Shelf. Whedon did much ado about nothing. Yeah, uh, and it was Midsummer's okay. Night's Dream with uh, with who? Who's this? Calvin, uh, Kevin, Kevin Klein, Klein, Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, 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 I remember that fucking one. That must have been in the nineties. Uh, it was. Uh, there's yeah. another one. <laughs> those names. Uh, I don't yeah. know anybody in this I don't one. Know. Dude, the Much Ado About yeah. Nothing with Denzel, Keanu, Michael Keaton, fucking, I always forget her name, Professor Trelawney from Harry Potter, and a host of other things. Oh, I don't remember her name. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I know who Daniel Radcliffe is. But that movie, Much Ado About Nothing, with Kenneth Branagh in it as well, that movie's amazing. And it has one of the worst Shakespeare performances by Keanu Reeves of all time. <laughs> <laughs> but Denzel is also like one of the uh, main characters in that movie. So, oh, '90s Keanu. Yeah. Oh, um, hey, poor boy. The, the 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 actress who played the witch did a stage performance of Mid- *Midsummer Night's Dream*. It's on her IMDb that you can watch. It's like a super like avant-garde stylized version. Man, I'm stuck on this flaw. <sighs> Sorry. I just I just yeah. keep thinking right no, now like fine. I feel like Macbeth is being cheapened a little bit. It's a great play. Don't get me wrong. It's fucking amazing. It's one of my favorites. But like, if you keep overdone. making films it's of just it overdone. over and over and over, it's just gonna turn into some fucking I don't know. Well, the last great one we had was seven years ago. So you know, if they make a great one every seven years, I'm cool with that. I guess that's true. But I do think it would be cool to do some other ones. I agree with you on that point. Um, yeah, so our, our other awards, I don't know if they, definitely, we can't do the Frozen Banana Award for no. most comedic scene, unless you want to give it to, like, the gatekeeper guy, who's talking <laughs> about getting drunk. Yeah, that guy was. we'll give it to him. Yeah. Yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> he was, like, the only It's the only nomination. Yeah. Right? It's the only <laughs> nomination. <laughs> sure. It was pretty funny, though. It was clever. It was well done. I like that. Um, our roller girl award for most uncomfortable scene. I don't really know. The whole movie just has that tenor. Yeah, the whole movie's nothing just that really like creepy and tense. Goes over the edge in a way. And I, I don't know if we can do our Willem Dafoe award for most erotic scene either. Um, no. Yeah. 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 Well, maybe we'll wrap it up then. Yeah, I think so. Um, you boys got any lingering thoughts on the, the tragedy of Macbeth? The fucking, uh, the fact that it was just Joel is like really messing with me. And I just, not in a bad way, really. I just want to know how the future is going to go. Like, are they going to, is Ethan really just done like making movies? Um, yeah. What did he say about that? So Do you know? Carter Burwell, the guy who's done music for their movies since the big Lebowski, like maybe even before that, um, he was like, yeah, this is the first time that I've only worked with Joel and, uh, I don't know what the future holds for him. That's what he said. He's like, it's weird because I guess Ethan just said he didn't want to do films anymore. And mm. so I just worked with Joel in this film. And that was it. That was all I could find. Okay. That was all so I you read. didn't see an interview with Ethan that talked about no, it? No, 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 no. So this is this okay. is from the musician that works with the Coens. You know, this is yeah. from his mouth. And uh, But I, I didn't find anything about like what Joel said. I didn't look okay. into it really deeply. It's just very interesting to me. Because if that's the case, I would just like to know. It'd just be cool to see, okay, where does Ethan Cohen come in into the Cohen Brothers movies? And where does Joel come in? And with this tragedy of Macbeth, 
I can start to kind of see where Joel comes in, right? Does that make sense? Looking back at their filmography. Not quite. Yeah, we I might we might need yet. a we might need to have a more of a distance of time in order to see that. I think a few more but films yeah, of just him. A few more do. films. And they're also like getting older. You're going to make much different films now than you did when you were making Raising Arizona and Blood Simple, you know? Yeah. So it's hard to say, but it is interesting. And, you know, Ethan Cohen, do what you want to do, man. You've contributed more than enough to the cinematic lexicon. We appreciate your involvement in this art form. Yeah. And I hope hope Joel keeps doing his thing as well. I'm sure he will. Um, but yeah, let's wrap it up. Tragedy Macbeth, great fucking movie. We're all nerds here. We really enjoyed it. And I've enjoyed doing this show with you guys. We'll yeah. wrap it around here. Um, one year, going strong. We will keep going. Hopefully grow. If not, though, I fucking love doing it, so it's not a big problem. And, uh, yeah, real weirdos. Two and a half white men with English degrees talking about movies for way too goddamn long. Come hang out with Jeff on Twitter. Uh, say things about him uh, live on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> this is awkward. Um, <laughs> coming out with us on Real Weirdos Pod at Twitter at, well, oh my God. <laughs> Come hang out with us on Twitter at Real Weirdos Pod. Say what's up to Jeff. Come hang out in the comments. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Enjoy your pickles. Make that my balls. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Perfect. Now our podcast is done And we have to run We know it is sad But we had so much fun Don't be bereft Jesse, Alex, and Jeff We'll be back real soon The Real Weirdos We talk about movies For way too goddamn long Bam, 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 bam